going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob, hanging out, talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports, as always, with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Not much, man. Not much going on this week, either. It's going to be a pretty laid-back week. No life-changing events on the horizon for me. Uh, for just you, yeah. Chill in my apartment for about 10 days, and... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. You got anything going on coming up? Yeah, I'm I'm a little busy. So you're not going anywhere? I don't think so. Why? <laughs> That's going to be a problem. Yeah. Well, for for the listeners, uh Chris is my best man in my wedding for next week. Uh or for this Wait, what? Weekend. I never got an invitation. <laughs> uh you you agreed to I'm it. Just <laughs> I'm just messing around. I'm just right. messing. Around. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to have some words after this podcast, but um, yeah, I'm getting married. Uh, Chris is obviously in the wedding; he's gonna be my best man. That also means uh, I'm taking a honeymoon. So, uh, quick PSA for programming on the podcast: we will not have an episode next week. I know we've been—we already took a week off uh, this summer, but we're taking another one off. But rest assured, we will be back uh, in that second week in July uh, with another episode of Clee Talk. So, I appreciate y'all giving me the week off, though. Yeah, man. Congratulations. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, I am very much looking forward to it. I sent in my RSVP a while ago, so obviously just yes, messing around there. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't You don't mess around with that stuff. Well, we will make uh, this last episode before the break count. Uh, you know, NBA season, we, we, we wrapped that up last podcast, so uh, please take a, take a listen to that if you want to hear what we had to say at the uh you know, doing a postmortem for, for the NBA season. Uh, that means we are solely in baseball season and we are going to uh, lead right in with our midseason report of the Cleveland Indians who, uh, you know, we had a little bit of some, it was a, a rocky start, but they, they're coming on strong of late Chris and, and are now in firm control of first place in the AL central uh, ahead of the Minnesota twins. So Chris, looking back for this first half of the season what what's what's your take on the Indians so far well the take up until June 15th was a very inconsistent team that was struggling to find its footing with the expectations of of winning you know last year the Indians had the luxury of being a breakout team and sometimes it's easier to break out than it is to contend because when you're a contender there's all sorts of pressure. You know, people start to press. There's the fans expect more. The, the the spotlights on you a little bit, and you know you get more fans in the stadium. The attendance has improved, and the atmosphere is starting to change. And and, and so I think that that can lead to some inconsistencies. You had Edwin Encarnacion struggle for a while, uh, signing a huge contract, coming to a new spot. That that probably put some pressure on him as well. But June 15th, something happened. They beat the Dodgers 12-5. to And that, that salvaged a 1-2 uh, a series where, with the first two games they looked really bad. But what it also did was it started this run where they rattled off the next six, sweeping the Twins four games, as you alluded to earlier. And now they're, they're up you know, three out of four against Baltimore uh, following that up. So a very strong stretch for the Tribe to really – what looks like taking control of the central division and, and it's encouraging to see the offense and the arms get on the same page you know other than a 65 loss to baltimore the indians have been putting the hammer down offensively they have scored even in that 65 loss five or more runs every single game since they beat the dodgers on june 15th they have also held opponents to less than five runs all but twice, the 12-5 to win and the 6-5 to loss. So the next highest total was a 9-3 to victory against the Twins. So you're finally starting to see the offense come to life and the arms get more consistent. And I think that this, you know, 10-game stretch or 9-game stretch, excuse me, hopefully is a sign of things to come because now you're starting to see the Indians turn into the contenders that everyone picked them to be on opening day. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with with all of that. You know, this first half uh, of the season, 
has been a story in adversity. And, and I know that, uh, was a word we threw around a lot for the Indians of last year, but, uh, again, I mean, the Indians had tons of be it injuries or just players not showing up, uh, for, for good chunks of this first half. I mean, Corey Kluber, the, the Cy Young ace, uh, anchoring the rotation went to the DL Carlos Carrasco, uh, had a little bit of, of injuries at the start of May Danny Salazar is out of the rotation, is on the DL right now. Um, Edwin Encarnacion, like you said, was non-existent in April. Jason Kipnis went to the DL. Uh, the entire outfield has just been a rotating circus of, of disabled list announcements and Tyler Naquin getting demoing to AAA. You know, despite all that, they were able to hover around 500. And once they finally got things set, especially when Corey Kluber came back and reacclimated himself on top of that lineup. And Carlos Carrasco uh, ha- has turned in a fine first half of the season. Uh, once they, they got a rotation set and a lineup set, for, for the most part, I mean, Brandon Geyer uh, still on the DL, uh, Abraham Almonte as well, uh, they, they've taken off. And, and now they, they've re-established themselves on top of the AL Central. I think they're gearing up for a second half of the season that is going to be fantastic. I, I think uh, there were high expectations heading into the season because – they're returning uh, everybody fr- from last year. Essentially, they upgraded their offense with Encarnacion. Uh, they were healthy to, to start the year uh, for the most part. Uh, and then things just kind of derailed really quickly. Now the expectations, uh, the team that we expected to see uh, has finally arrived. Um, and I, I'm really excited to see what they have in store uh, come July and August, I think we're going to see a lot of runs from these Indians. Um, you know, Chris, for, for me, the most surprising part of this first half was that rotation. You know, there was the Corey Kluber injury, Danny Salazar uh, currently dealing with the injury, but for the most part, you know, Salazar, Carrasco, Bauer, and Tomlin uh, ha- have have pitched every, every single game uh, and, and have been wildly inconsistent. You know, we, we always thought that for the regular season, this rotation was the strong point, but I'd say it has been anything but uh, to start the regular season for, for this year. Yeah, I mean, certainly going into the year, the rotation didn't look like it would be an issue on the surface. But if you dig a little deeper and look at the injury histories with some of these guys, the inconsistency history with some of these guys, there were some some minor red flags that certainly materialized themselves throughout the first three months of the season. You know, with the exception of Carlos Carrasco, who in 14 games has notched nine quality starts, an 8-3 and three record, uh, 89 strikeouts, 87 innings, 299 ERA, 102 whip. You know, he's going to be right there if he keeps that up uh, in, in some end-of-the-season award discussions, possibly the Cy Young, if he continues to post those kind of numbers. Now, I know he's had a little bit of a rough patch in June, but the fact of the matter is he has been the rock. Corey Kluber, when healthy, has been is normally the rock, and ever since he's come back, he's been lights out. You know, his ERA started really high, but 80 strikeouts, 65 innings. Uh, he finally has a winning record, eight and two. Uh, so, so with those two guys pitching at full strength, this rotation is a force. But everyone else, Bauer, Tomlin, and Salazar, have been pretty disappointing. To be fair to Trevor Bauer, he has turned things around of late. Uh, still an impressive 89 strikeouts and 74 innings. Uh, his ERA has dropped a bit down to 554, uh, which is probably, you know, it's a good thing that it's dropping, yeah. but it's bad that it's still at 554. <laughs> um, and and then, then you look at Josh Tomlin, who's still 607 ERA, very inconsistent this year. Um, and, and Danny Salazar got demoted to the bullpen back on the disabled list since. Uh, the beginning of June, the guy who's really come in and saved this rotation, so to speak, has been Mike Clevenger uh, because he came up from AAA and right out the back, three excellent starts. He, he He's only notched two quality starts, only has a three and two record. Oh, excuse me. I'm, I'm sorry. I wasn't looking. Yeah, no, only, only two quality starts and has a three and three record. Excuse me. So that, that's kind of surprising. But his 386 ERA and giving the Indians a more reliable middle guy behind Carrasco and Kluber, and especially while Kluber was on the DL, having a guy that you could rely on while Bauer kind of figured some things out. 
Tomlin still has some work to do, and Salazar is still working his way back. But but the rotation situation is much better now that Kluber is healthy, and you've got another guy in that rotation who you can rely on just a bit more. And then another guy in Bauer who might be turning the corner. So so there are certainly some bright signs uh, going into the second half of the season for this rotation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, despite all, all that adversity in the rotation, Indians are sitting uh, fifth in the MLB with a team ERA of 386. So um, doing something right, and that's due most part to those aces of Carrasco and Kluber, but especially uh, the bullpen in the back end, which has continued to be fantastic. Um, but about Mike Clevenger, man, I, I was really impressed. I, I watched uh, his uh, start in, in Baltimore the other night, um, and man, if he were a normal rookie, still feeling out his uh, his place uh, in the in the MLB, I know he's not a rookie. I think he's got one year of experience now, but uh, he should have gotten pulled in the second inning but for some way somehow Mike Clevenger found a way to to pitch five innings uh, over a hundred pitches and only give up two earned runs I I was really impressed with that start I think that is kind of embodied what he has brought to that rotation Uh, it it was a solid start despite only going five innings and and walking a lot of batters and and putting a lot of guys on base so I I was impressed with him Um, but Chris back, back to that bullpen I mean Andrew Miller Cody Allen one of the best one-two punches uh, in, in all of baseball, but they've been consistent uh, up and down this year, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's been been up and down for them, but I think overall it's been very strong. Uh, the The fact of the matter is the the bullpen is never going to be perfect. You know, you're, you're always going to have guys who have a stretch. Andrew Miller against the Los Angeles uh, Dodgers had two disaster games. And I remember my dad and I and our mom, we were at the second game. And after they took Miller out, my dad looks at me and says, wow, that balloons ERA's, Miller's ERA to a whopping 0.66. And I mean, he still has a 163 ERA. He still has 57 strikeouts and 38 innings pitched. Uh, the guy it leads the team and holds. He's the perfect setup man. Uh, I'm not worried about him at all. Cody Allen, again, has just been an awesome closer. Look, closers always, always, always are going to have pressure. He has those two losses, and people are going to look at those bigger than his 15 saves. But the man is one of, if not the best closer in the American League. He only has six earned runs and two home runs on the year. Put that in perspective. Brian Shaw only has one. Uh, Andrew Miller only has two as well. So so all of those guys are, are kind of keeping the ball in the yard for the most part. Now, I know Brian Shaw, he, his 252 ERA is a bit deceiving because he does kind of get a little shaky at times. But if he's your third best reliever, I mean, that's really good because on almost any other team, he'd be solidified in the eighth inning. And then you go deeper. You got a guy like Dan Otero, who is probably your fourth best reliever. Uh, you know, I know Zach McAllister is not an elite reliever, but he is a solid middle kind of inning relief guy. So you look at this bullpen, it is a very deep, very dynamic bullpen that takes so much pressure off this starting rotation if a guy just doesn't have it and you got to yank him in the fifth or the sixth you have a number of different arms that can just come in and put the hammer down to the opposing team and it starts with Allen and Miller and those two guys are just as good as they come Uh, honestly I mean if you go one through five in the bullpen I don't think that there is a better bullpen in all of baseball and I would put Allen and Miller up against anybody else's top two relievers in baseball as well. Yeah, for sure. Nick Goody as well, 126 ERA, has been a pleasant surprise. Uh, 28 innings pitched. Um, de- definitely a, a solid bullpen, and, and the Indians lead the league in, in uh, bullpen ERA. So um, definitely uh, a, a strong part uh, of of this Indians roster for sure. Uh, what about the offense? I mean, Encarnacion, struggled to, to start off Jason Kipnis on the DL had a rotating door of outfielders come up and down uh, wh- what's your uh, analysis of, of the the offense for the first half 
Well, Encarnacion struggling is still 17 home runs, 40 RBIs, and a 262 average. The batting average you would like to see a little bit higher. But if you're going to slap 17 home runs in three months, given the way he started, I'll take that any day. He's still on pace to flirt with 40, still on pace to have a typical Edwin season. So uh, the guy has certainly been turning it around over the last month and a half or so. What's encouraging to me Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez, right up there, combined for 25 home runs and 67 RBIs. Ramirez did not lose his edge. They both have 20-plus doubles already, and it's only the first half. Both of them, Ramirez especially hitting 321. Lindor had a big slump, so his average is only 259. But I expect that to turn around. He is a lot better than that. And the power has been a pleasant surprise from Francisco Lindor as well. It's encouraging to see those two young guys who are cornerstones of your franchise, both offensively and defensively, not regress. And then looking down to Carlos Santana, who only has nine home runs. And his batting average is a little low, but he's still raking 38 RBIs. He still has 16 doubles. Uh, You'd like to see a little bit more out of him. But honestly, I just think when you look at this offense, everyone is starting to find their role. With Kipnis hurt, uh, with with Brantley working his way back in, with Encarnacion in there, I think everyone is starting to settle into their spot in the lineup finding their role all the injuries in the outfield has had some new faces in there and and I think now that people are starting to settle in you're starting to see some of these numbers turn around Uh, and and like like I said like with everything else in this team these last nine games have been so encouraging hopefully this is the start of the team we expected because the first two months were, were a little bit of a roller coaster ride with a few exceptions yeah, definitely. Encarnacion uh, getting that average up to 262. He's a career 266 hitter. So uh, he finished April batting 200 uh, and is now all the way up to 262 uh, um, almost at the end of June. So that's a pretty impressive turnaround for him and, and certainly refreshing to see. You know, you mentioned Carlos Santana, who um, had a career best year last year uh is regressing back to what we have typically seen which is hovering around 20 home runs and and a high uh walk count which isn't bad uh it's just when Encarnacion isn't hitting home runs and Carlos Santana isn't hitting home runs that's when the offense starts to sputter so as long as Encarnacion is doing his thing the Indians can absorb the regression of Carlos Santana back to to what his averages are, are are more in line with which again isn't isn't totally bad it's just um i I don't think we're going to see a a 30 home run output from santana this year uh for me uh chris we we have another rookie in the outfield that that has impressed uh bradley zimmer getting the call up uh around the middle of may uh, and i think he's sticking around i mean hitting 303 with four home runs and 20 rbis i've been really impressed with bradley zimmer uh this season and it, it came at uh, a great time when the Indians demoted Tyler Naquin, Ani Chisenhall went to, went to the DL, Brandon Geyer to the DL. Uh, they needed somebody to step up in the outfield. And, you know, we kind of talked about this being the best case scenario if Bradley Zimmer could be that guy that steps up and fills a need. And I think he certainly has. It's been refreshing to see him uh, put up some, some meaningful at bats and some, some meaningful games for the Indians so far. Yeah, what's been rough is, is seeing Naquin regress and get sent down after finishing third in Rookie of the Year voting. It's been rough to see Almonte get hurt and Geyer get hurt. But two guys, not just Zimmer, but I want to single out two guys who have been really strong in in helping keeping the outfield solidified, keeping the focus on Zimmer for now. I mean, 20 RBIs, only 33 games played in 89 at-bats, and uh, hitting 303 with four home runs. Bob, right there, that that's very impressive. You know, the fact he only has four home runs, but he has almost 60 fewer at-bats than Jan Gomes, who also has four home runs, and 110 fewer at-bats than Michael Brantley, who has five. So when we put it in that context, Zimmer has been just an amazing sort of blessing for this team, both offensively and defensively. His speed is is just awesome uh, watching him run the bases watching him you know run down fly balls at center field he is just what this team needed uh defensively because 
the outfield has been lacking a true center fielder for a while now. And if Zimmer now holds down that spot, uh, I, I think it's just going to settle everyone else in. Uh, just like you know, now that Kipnis and everyone else is back healthy offensively, it settles everyone in the lineup. I think instead of playing a couple guys out of position in center, you've got Zimmer who can hold down the fort. The other guy I want to single out is Lonnie Chisinau. He's only played 48 games. He only has 135 at-bats, yet he still has 37 RBIs, 10 home runs, and hitting 296. This guy has quietly become a very solid corner outfielder, kind of a platoon guy. I know he hits mostly against righties, but you know what? They found a role for him, and he is certainly thriving in it. So Chisenhall, you know, still being productive in a reasonable way has definitely been a big help for this team as well. Yeah, and and the the main uh, counterpunch in, in in his platoon, Brandon Geyer, ha- has missed majority of this first half. So Chisenhall um, ha- had his own DL stint, but uh, since he's come back, he's been an everyday player out of necessity, and those numbers really haven't dipped. So he's probably having the best season of his career, and that's really good to see. You know, a former first round pick uh, finally starting to to, to to play like it. So that's that's really good, um, Chris. By the time we record next, the Indians will have played 17 games, uh, seven against Detroit. They have a three-game series against Minnesota this weekend, uh, and then series against San Diego and Texas. What What is your outlook for the Indians uh, by the time we come back and record our next podcast? Well, first and foremost, thank you ESPN for finally giving the Cleveland Indians World Series runner-ups a Sunday night baseball game. Goodness, man, I see the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs on there all the time. Thank goodness the Indians finally get a little love. I don't know. All they did was almost win the World Series last year. I guess you have to to win the World Series to get more than one Sunday night baseball game. But it's finally going to happen July 9th against Detroit. Uh, And you're right. it, It is a big stretch for them because they face... The Twins, they're about to start that series this weekend. Big homestand for them because then against Texas as well. But but those seven games against Detroit, you would love to see a 5-2 and two record. 4-3 and three is acceptable, but if they could go 5-2. and Because honestly, I'm more worried about Detroit than Minnesota. I think the Twins are the Chicago White Sox of last year. The White Sox started off hot, but then they faded after about May, mid-June. I think the Twins, very young team have a lot of good young guys, but I just think that they're not as threatening to me as Detroit. Detroit still has some big names, Verlander, Cabrera, who have historically uh, done very well against the Cleveland Indians. So I I see them as more the rivals to the division, even though they're further out than the Twins. I hope the Indians take two out of three on this homestand against the Twins. If they were to sweep them, win 7-0 in two weekends against Minnesota, uh, that's pretty much put a fork in them. I know it's only July or, or end of June, but I, I just see the Twins fading. So you, this 17-game this stretch, you got to take care of business against Texas, Minnesota, and San Diego. But, but most importantly, you really, really have to show the Tigers that last year wasn't a fluke. This is our division now. Your time is done. Yeah, for sure. There, there's something rotten uh, behind Minnesota, Minnesota's uh, record. They're 36-34 and 34 right now, only – a few games behind the Indians, but they have a minus 49 run differential. So I think that, like you said, that they are going to fade a little bit. Um, in terms of my outlook for the, for these 17 games, I want to sweep of the Twins. Uh, the Indians are eight and two against the Twins this season, uh, and, and the Twins look like they're in a tailspin. So uh, if the if the Indians are for real and they finally ride the ship, I, I think like a sweep is in order of them. And then I agree with you. I I, I want the the Indians. I don't really care what happens against the Rangers and Padres. Obviously, I want the Indians to win every single game, but I'm more looking at that Detroit series. I want them to be 500 or better in that series, and you know, end the first half of the the MLB season on top of the AL Central with a very comfortable lead. Yeah, Detroit's lost six straight as of this recording. They're seven and a half games out, 32 and 40. So they certainly have had their struggles, but at the same time, I just when you look at this division, nobody scares me, but the Tigers do have the big names, and they and they have the rivalry. With seven games, I mean, if Detroit, heaven forbid, goes 5-2, and two, well, now all of a sudden they're back in this thing. So you got Detroit on the ropes. 
if they take five or more from them in this stretch, I know you don't want to bury a team in July, but if you put Detroit 10 out going into the All-Star break, uh, that would be a huge choke job if the Indians didn't close at least them out. Now, now obviously, the Twins still two and a half, but Bob, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of rotten stuff in the, in the AL Central. The only team with a plus run differential other than Cleveland is the White Sox at plus nine. The other three teams significant minus run differentials the Cleveland Indians plus 56 in runs uh, I, I think the Indians are starting to show they're the classes division and I think over these next 17 games with three against the Twins seven against the Tigers they have a chance to really exert their dominance and start running away with this thing yeah definitely well hopefully that is what uh, we're talking about next time we record uh, just how good uh, the 17 game stretch was for the Indians um also, uh, all-star voting is ramping up. Uh, Chris, the Indians on top of a, uh, the AL Central, certainly deserving of sending at least a couple guys t- uh, to the all-star game. Who uh, on the Cleveland roster is deserving of the spot? I, just looking at their stats, not really giving uh, credence to what position they play, I certainly think you can make the argu- argument for Jose Ramirez. He's been fantastic, both sides of the ball. Lindor has got the star power. He probably will get in. Encarnacion's 17 home runs look nice, but I think at first base there's some other guys who are just getting a little more pop. It might be tough for him. Um, But on the offensive side, I certainly think Lindor and Ramirez would be the two most likely candidates. And then pitching-wise, I certainly think Carlos Carrasco, Andrew Miller, and Coley Allen uh, deserve uh, a shot. If Kluber hadn't gotten hurt, he might get considered, but I think the injury might keep him out of it because there are a lot of really good pitches in the AL, but I certainly think Carrasco, Andrew Miller, and Cody Allen uh, should have a spot in uh, on, on the uh, pitching side. I agree with, with those three pitchers. I, I wonder if uh, Andrew Miller is going to take Cody Allen's spot uh, in, in the All-Star game. Just I, I would be surprised if the Indians send two relievers, but I, I don't know the roster requirements for the All-Star game anymore. It seems like they add more and more. I agree with you. Jose Ramirez, uh, in terms of the offensive side, I think he's the most deserving uh, for the Indians. He's been fantastic uh, with that high batting average, high double count. Uh, unfortunately, Miguel Sano for the Twins is having a fantastic season as well. He plays third base as well. Um, Francisco Lindor, I get it. He's got star power, uh, had a fantastic defensive season, but Carlos Correa, also a shortstop on the Houston Astros, who are by far the best team in, in the MLB for the first half is having an even better offensive season. So, um, you know, when it gets to the coaches' decisions to, to add these players, I don't think Jose Ramirez or, or Francisco Lindor are going to be first ballot uh, starters for, for the for, for this all-star team. Uh, I, I wonder what's going to win out, whether it's Jose Ramirez' stats or if it's Francisco Lindor's star power. I, I, I think it's going to be Lindor, but hopefully both get in because I think they've both had a fantastic season so far. Yeah, and the interesting rule with the All-Star game is you have to represent all 15 teams, so that could squeeze somebody out. Look, it'll be tough to get five All-Stars without voting any of them in. Uh, but, but I do think the pitching side will be easier because, A, you do get more bullpen spots. They have loosened the rules on the bullpen. I do think Miller and Allen will get in, and I think Carrasco definitely will be named to the rotation. Um but you're right. I do think it could be close between Lindor and uh, Ramirez. And, and Lindor is just a casualty of his position because there are a lot of excellent shortstops all over baseball right now. And, uh, you know, fantastic just isn't good enough right now because there are a lot of fantastic players at that position. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, Lindor's biggest strength defense is the least valued strength in, in the All Star game. So uh, at a disadvantage there as well. But again, I think they're all deserving and you know Jose Ramirez and and Lindor are second in in vote getting so there's still a chance for them to to pull out a a first ballot and and be named a starter that would be fantastic but uh, we'll be talking some all-star game next time uh, we record as well and we'll have some more clarity on uh, what those all-star rosters are going to look like maybe uh, one of these Indians are going to go on a tear and, and assert themselves as a starter that would be great uh, but zooming out now to some news uh, uh, around other Cleveland teams. Uh, checking in with the Cavs, Chris, uh, David Griffin is out as general manager. Ownership and Griffin could not come to terms of a, a new contract. So Griffin just walked away and they decided to, to part. 
Uh, rumor is Chauncey Billups is the leading ca- candidate. I know he's interviewed twice for the Cavs. I haven't really read about anybody else leading or uh, interviewing uh, for, for that role. Uh, Billups would interview for like a president of basketball operations type role and, and then hire another general manager on top of that. Uh, Chris, wh- what are you making of these moves? Confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Very confusing. You have the architect of three straight NBA final team and uh, you're going to not promote him to team president or or something or I don't know I mean what do you have to do to get a promotion nowadays in the NBA I mean short of getting your team to the NBA finals every year and winning a championship what more do you want it's not Griffin's fault that the Cavs lost in 2015 or 2017 2015 was injuries in 2017 the players just played terrible I don't understand why David Griffin is no longer the Cavs general manager. I think everyone in Cleveland's pretty much perplexed by the move. Uh, it certainly signals uh, some uncertainty uh, for an organization that was starting to find some stability. And uh, I, 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 I can't for the life of me understand why that guy didn't get a nice contract, whatever title he wanted, and, and just control the franchise. I think he earned it. Yeah, I think he's definitely deserving of a contract extension and riding this thing out. Um, so it, it is confusing. I I agree with you. Um, but David Griffin is gone now, and I don't think that changes one bit what the Cavs are going to do or be uh, for next season. And that's the best team in the Eastern Conference and go to the NBA Finals. So I'm not worried about that. Uh, the rumors uh, are only going to get louder now because uh, the Cavs – fired essentially a guy that LeBron James liked and LeBron is going to opt out next season uh, to restructure his deal so you know Dan Gilbert brought that upon himself and brought that upon us uh, by letting Griffin walk uh, these rumors of LeBron leaving again that's unfortunate and and very upsetting but again the Cavs are going to be probably his best shot of going to, to multiple NBA finals not just next year but Uh, For as long as LeBron is a peak player, I don't see him walking. So in terms of the short term, as long as we got LeBron, I don't see this being that impactful. It's more the long term and the creative deal making that I think the Cavs are going to lack. And I do think that the Cavs may have had some opportunities this week with the NBA draft uh, that their confusion and uncertainty at the GM position uh, led to them not being involved in trade discussions or being involved as a third party? Well, first off, I don't think it impacted the trades as much because, look, all these rumors that were being thrown out, first off, I didn't believe half of them. And second, we're talking about Paul George, Jimmy Butler. Do people even fathom what you have to give up to get someone like that? I mean, you know, Minnesota traded Zach Levine to get Jimmy Butler. Zach Levine's a really good player, a really good young player, and they also traded the number seven pick, some 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 assets. I mean, the Cavs don't have that. I mean, you'd have to move Kevin Love, get a third team involved, things like that. I I just think that that those trade rumors were were way over the top and way unrealistic. Um, kudos to the Cavs if they tried, but I, I just I just think anyone who thought Jimmy Butler or Paul George was coming to Cleveland was living in a fantasy. Uh, it just it's it's not gonna happen. Uh, the Danny Green rumor was a little more down to earth. Uh, that certainly would have been nice, but it would have been nicer if the Cavs had you know resigned the guy they drafted in the second round, Danny Green. That is, uh, that was one of the silliest moves ever. Let him walk, but you know what? Uh, is, uh, kudos to them for trying, but but ultimately I, I just. I can't see the Cavs getting a significant superstar without giving up something. You know, you're not going to get to four like Golden State has. So I, I don't think that that's a realistic expectation to expect the Cavs to get a fourth superstar without giving up Kyrie Irving or Kevin Love. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. But I, I think they could have been involved in some deal making, maybe involved on, on a draft day. Uh, trade uh, somehow I, I don't know Griffin always surprised me and amazed me in what he was able to pull out of his hat and I think uh, this week we saw a lot of movement a lot of surprising movement of draft picks and stars uh, you know Jimmy Butler being the the big name uh, and, and the Cavs were, were not players in that I think I 
I would have to imagine if Griffin didn't have this uncertainty and was GM, the Cavs might have been players involved somehow in one of those deals. Maybe, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I just think that I, I'll say that if Griffin were still the GM, maybe they make a draft day deal. I still don't think that they get Jimmy Butler or Paul George. I, I think just think that those rumors were just pie in the sky kind of. I'm not necessarily saying they weren't true, but I think that that fans had an expectation that it was closer than it was, and I just don't think that that's. I, I think those teams were using the Cavs to jack up the price because if they could say, "Hey, look, we could get Kevin Love," or, or I, I don't think Kyrie Irving was on the table, but you'd have to give up one of those two. Uh, that that obviously gives them leverage against the teams they really want to do deal with. Because why would Chicago take Kevin Love for Jimmy Butler? You're still in the middling place. If you're trading Jimmy Butler, you're plummeting to dumpster land, and you're tanking. Like, that's a tank move. That's a trade, get a young guy, get a draft pick, and and start building for the future, not get another guy who's just going to keep us in nowhere, nowhere land. So, obviously, there would have needed to be some sort of third team involved, and, and if I'm that third team, it's like, well, wait a second, I could get Jimmy Butler. Why do I need you why would I want Kevin Love over Jimmy Butler? I, I, I'm not trying to knock Kevin Love, but I think that Jimmy Butler's a guy you can probably build a team around. Kevin Love is 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 like a strong number two guy, and you know I, I just didn't see those those rumors materialize. It just didn't make yeah. sense for 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 what was being flown out there. All right, so not not from a Cleveland perspective, but what is your analysis on that Jimmy Butler trade? great for minnesota i think minnesota made a fantastic move oh yeah um they, I, I mean you got jimmy butler and carl anthony towns and andrew wiggins could be your third best player that that's that's a great move um they, they have a bunch of point guards like you know ricky rubio and two other young guys who if one of their young guys can pop i mean they're they're they're, they're, they're gonna be they're they're gonna bubble up now the problem is they play in a conference with the warriors and the spurs so we'll see what happens, but they have certainly positioned themselves to take some major step forward next year. I think it was a fantastic move for Minnesota, and, and I, honestly, man, Jimmy Butler might be your second best player because Carl Anthony Towns is the truth. Oh yeah, he's really good, and I think the Wolves uh, will soon have a big three, and, and we'll be making some noise. I, I think it's it's a great move for for the Wolves at at essentially any cost. Um, I'm amazed that bulls made this deal i i don't see the value in, in what they gave up for a guy that is under contract for two more years and is a budding superstar is under an affordable contract and all they got was a seventh pick uh last year's chris dunn uh was a highly drafted first round pick and zach levine who's coming off the acl tear i i mean for a guy that uh his biggest asset is his jumping athleticism that's a really scary injury to come back from i don't see the return from it i i I think the bulls got hosed i i really do and the cherry on top for me is that the celtics again uh were negotiating for paul george allegedly on draft night didn't even know what the the asking price for jimmy butler was uh they could have made this deal in their sleep and still had tons of assets uh to to spare and they would have had jimmy butler on their roster again the, the Boston Celtics just seemed like a loser uh, in a trade that they weren't involved in. Uh, well, first off, I, I don't think uh, – Zach Levine is a, an excellent player. I don't think he's a superstar yet, but he is certainly a, a good complimentary guy. And, and Dunn is a point guard that I thought was going to pop in Minnesota. Uh, you know, I, I don't – I'm not ready to give up on Chris Dunn just yet. He had a fantastic career in Providence, uh, up-and-down season in Minnesota – but I certainly Ooh. think he has a lot of potential. And look, look again, I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong, but I do think the Bulls did get two young guys. One guy who's already shown potential, another guy who has upside. They get the and the seventh pick in the draft. Look, they made this move the tank. They're going to plummet to try to get the number one pick and then supplement this with another draft next year. Um, look again. Does it blow you away? No, but I do think they got more than maybe what people are saying. Yeah, I don't. I'm, 
Chris Chris Dunn had a down season. It was not up and down. It was down. He averaged three point eight points per game. Was supposed to be the starting point guard, and he's already twenty three. I I don't know. I, I the Bulls could have gotten more for Jimmy Butler. They <laughs> absolutely could have gotten more. He's played one year in the NBA. I mean, I know, I know, fine. He's twenty three, and you didn't come right out of high school. But come on, man! Like he's played one year in the NBA, and he was behind Ricky Rubio most of the year. So I mean, he 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 wasn't supposed to be behind him. He was supposed to be in front of him, and he was too bad. Ricky Rubio reinserted himself. I, I all right. So so he struggled his rookie year, and and Ricky Rubio, the more experienced guy, took it. I mean, what, have we seen every superstar rookie come out and be awesome? I mean, did you even know who Giannis, the Greek? freak was before last year he'd been in the nba for three years before he became a superstar so all i'm saying here is chris dunn showed a lot of potential in college he struggles his rookie year he is still a young player with high upside he just hasn't grown into his upside yet i'm not willing to give up on a guy after one year and zach levine has definitely showed a lot of potential i know he's coming off an injury but he has definitely showed a lot of potential uh people were talking in minnesota last year that they might make the playoffs because they had a mini big three with Zach Levine as part of that. So the the point I'm saying here is I don't think the Bulls didn't get anything. They did get one guy who's shown potential and another guy who has a lot of upside plus the seventh pick in the draft. I, I don't think that that is a terrible package um, overall. Giannis is younger than Chris Dunn, by the way. And that's fine, but he still took two or three years. The point is he took two or three years to adjust in the NBA. He's no. older by NBA experience. By the end of his rookie year, people had a feeling that Giannis could be someone special. Chris Dunn, people are already talking about him being a bust. I, I, I think it's, I don't know. I, 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 they were under no pressure to make this deal. They had two years to to deal Jimmy Butler, and I, this is not a, a blow me away deal for me. Time out. You're telling me a guy who averaged six point eight points his rookie year was talked about as being a superstar after 2014, Giannis. You're telling me you said, and other people were saying, that a guy who averaged 6.8 points and 4.8 rebounds looked like a superstar in 2014, because that is not true. Yeah, Chris, no uh, way. Nobody said superstar. <laughs> I did not say superstar. I said potential. Uh, by the end of his rookie year, he is already playing point guard a little bit. People, he was already growing, still growing. Uh there were pictures of just how lanky and, and long he was, and there were highlights of him doing some fantastic stuff yeah there was hype around him after his rookie year there's nothing for chris dunn i mean that, that, that's he's revisionist history that's revenge the hype didn't start around him until 2015 his rookie no. year nobody had heard of him he had played 20 he started 23 games played 24 minutes 6.8 points in and 4.4 rebounds 30 he shot 41 percent for the field come on chris, man chris <laughs> i knew about him when he was drafted okay all right. Well, all right. Okay. You you watch a lot of Greece basketball then, I'm sure, just like everyone else who said they knew about him four years ago when no one can even spell his name. It's okay. I I looked at okay. <laughs> whatever whatever, man. <laughs> all right. What other uh trades during the trade deadline uh do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, most of the, the, the action wasn't that, that intense. I mean the Lakers made a pretty good trade getting Brooke Lopez, giving up on D'Angelo Russell a little early. Um Giving up on Timothy Mozgov, probably shouldn't have even signed him. Um, so, I, I, kind of a whole home deal. The Nets did get a young guy in D'Angelo Russell who was number two overall, but has certainly, can I say ups and downs this time, has had an up and down career, especially off the court, has you know, irked his teammates with a couple of things he did in the locker room. So, certainly a guy who kind of needed a fresh start. Dwight Howard going to Charlotte, man, I mean, you know, this guy seems to get traded every offseason. Uh, so uh, I, I don't necessarily think that moves the needle for me as either. Yeah, the, not, nothing surprising. I thought the Lakers were making that deal to potentially make a, a bigger splash uh, in something. I mean, Brook Lopez is a quality basketball player. He's going to play quality minutes. He's definitely an improvement over Timothy Mozgov. Uh, but it looks like the Lakers were just making this move to set up for 2018 and some free agency uh, acquisitions. The Hawks seem to be... In full rebuild, as you say, Dwight Howard uh, continues to regress, and I don't think Charlotte is, is going to make much noise next year. So, yeah, not not a lot to, to take away from any of those other transactions. Um, but 
Chris, the, the NBA is still trying to get our attention. Their award show is set to air on June 26th on Monday night. Uh, finally, we're going to find out who's MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, let, let's start uh, with uh, let's start with uh, the the big one. Who, who's going to win MVP? <sighs> Russell Westbrook. There you go. Hey, just because I think, just because I know he's going to win it, doesn't mean I like it. But he's going to win it. All right, I I agree with you. Uh, dude, average a triple double over the course of a season. It seems like he has the momentum to win the MVP. Not going to say anything, but I think he is going to win the MVP. All Don't right. like it, but it's going to happen. All right. Moving on to rookie of the year. Uh, Chris, this is not the most spectacular rookie class. Who, who do you like out of the three finalists? Can we award two rookies next year? <laughs> I, I Honestly, I think Joel Embiid should win. I don't care how many games he played. His stats are so much better than the other two guys. I think he should win it, but man, this this is not a very uh, awe-inspiring rookie of the year race. Yeah, I mean, if Joel Embiid just made it to like half of the season, I think I would be fine with it. But I can't get I can't get behind a guy who's only played 31 games uh, in his rookie season and and say that that's better than what Dario Saric did for the Sixers, who who played the whole season uh, and, and put in a fine rookie campaign. It's not superstar numbers like Joel Embiid was putting up, but what's to say that Joel Embiid was going to sustain that for an entire season? I I have to think that Darius Ark is going to be the rookie of the year. All right, uh, now moving on to defensive player of the year. Uh, what do you got there? Easily the most competitive category, and it's not even close. Honestly, you can make an argument for Rudy Gobert, Draymond Green, or Kawhi Leonard. I think voter fatigue might hurt Kawhi Leonard. I think Draymond Green is kind of overdue for winning Defensive Player of the Year. Rudy Gobert had a phenomenal season. This is a tough category. I'm going to go Draymond Green just because the last two years he's been close, and I think voter fatigue will hurt Kawhi Leonard, who's won it the last two years. So I go. I'm going to go Draymond Green. Yeah, I'm going Rudy Gobert. Uh, I think you can make the case for all three. Kawhi Leonard, two-time defending defensive player of the year. I agree with you on that. Uh, this probably wasn't his best defensive season. And Gobert and Green, uh, I think, ha- have improved a little bit. I think people don't want to give Draymond Green an award. So I-, I think Rudy Gobert might have a chance to win this one. Hey, I wouldn't complain if Draymond Green didn't win. I look, I, I, like like you said, you can make the case for all three of them. Honestly, I mean, you can make the case Kawhi Leonard could win it three years in a row. Um, I, I wouldn't have a problem with any of them, but I, I do think because Draymond was so close the last two years, he'll he'll that'll push him over the edge. Yeah, and then uh, lastly, Coach of the Year, who do you got here? Okay, I, I've said a lot of bad things about Brad Stevens. It is a complete and utter joke that Eric Spolstra is a finalist for this award when his team didn't even make the playoffs and Brad Stevens won the Eastern Conference that is the biggest joke in the world Brad Stevens totally hosed here but Mike D'Antoni's winning it yeah it's hard to argue against Mike D'Antoni uh Greg Popovich is probably gonna be a finalist every year uh I, I don't know if that's true or not but uh, he, he probably should be uh Eric Spolstra I I I get why because of the second half that they had 30 and 11 uh, just to finish 500. But I also hear what you're saying with Brad Stevens. Uh, I think you should get consideration. And Chris, uh, How about you, the you made an argument half. for, you made an argument for Russell Westbrook for MVP and Brad Stevens for coach of the year finalist. I'm not going to argue a whole lot with you. Well, time out, time out. I did not make an argument for Russell Westbrook. I said he was going to win it. I'm making an argument for Brad Stevens though. Brad Stevens got hosed. I mean, number one in the East. In the same conference, Eric Spolstra couldn't even win. I, I know they finished with 31 wins down the stretch, whatever. 82 games. Brad Stevens dominated the Heat record-wise, 1-9. to nine. How are you not a finalist? That's just ridiculous. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. I get it for sure. Um, well, that's the... Uh, I'm one sorry. last bonus thing wouldn't it be hilarious if david griffin wins executive of the year there are no finalists on this list but wouldn't it be hilarious if he wins it yeah that that would be pretty funny would he even accept of course he'd accept man it'll help his i mean next off season there's gonna be openings and and if he gets executive of the year you, look, there were two teams who wanted to hire him this year and the Cavs kind of blocked it so you know he's gonna get a job when things come open yeah that's true that's true all right. Well, that's uh, we will um, 
talk a little bit probably about, about the, the the awards that that are given out uh, next time we record. See if there's anything shocking. But uh, Chris, let's move on to our fake headline. What do you have? I want to record on July 10th or whenever we come back, and I want the headline to be "Cavs didn't do anything stupid in the 17 days." Clee talk was away. So that's all I want is to come back here and not have to talk about something really stupid that the Cavs did. That's all I want. Yeah. Hey, I, that'd be refreshing to see. Um, maybe that includes making a deal that wasn't stupid, but who knows? Um, for me, uh, this, this will make you happy. I want, I've Chris, I love Kawhi Leonard. I want him to be MVP. I, I, I would love it if he won MVP. Um, I have argued for Russell Westbrook to be MVP because I think it's going to happen, but uh, Kawhi Leonard is one of my favorite basketball players. I, I hope that he uh, finally gets some, some recognition. Kawhi Leonard is not only one of my favorite basketball players not named LeBron James, probably my favorite basketball player not named LeBron James, but the eve of the 2011 draft, I posted on Facebook if the Cavs draft Kyrie Irving 1 and Kawhi Leonard 4, they will get the two best players in this draft. Now, Klay Thompson certainly is making a case for maybe being in there, but I, I, I loved Kawhi Leonard at San Diego State, and I would love to see him win MVP because, as we know, if you've listened to archives, I, I have argued for him to win MVP, but uh, I think Russ is going to win it. Yeah, me too. All righty, man. Well, Again, Bob's getting married, so we, we're taking a week off, but we will be back the week of July 10th with another episode of Klee Talk. And if you're going all these weeks without taking weeks off, we, we, we feel bad about taking two out of three. But when we come back, the Iron Man streak begins again. We are not going to let you down. We thank you all for your support. Have a happy 4th of July. Enjoy some Indians baseball. They've got a lot of home games coming up here. Get out, enjoy the summer, and uh, get some baseball under your belt. It's, it's always fun to go down to the Jake. Um, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Search Fenley Road Sports. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes by searching Fenley Road Sports. Click Clee Talk or go to FenleyRoadSports.com. And we have very easy, convenient icons for you to follow us in our upper right corner of our website. Please catch up on all our old episodes. Please come back when we come back to continue to support us. We appreciate it. And until then, go Tribe. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Go Tribe. Take it easy, Bob.